Let me invite you to take your Bibles and join us in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I mentioned a moment ago we're going to be preaching through what has come to be called the Lord's Prayer. And you will know, because you are an astute bunch, that the Lord's Prayer occurs in the New Testament not once, but twice. And the more familiar version of the Lord's Prayer occurs in Matthew chapter 6, to which some would say, well, you should preach Matthew chapter 6 because that has all the words that I think should be in the Lord's Prayer. But I love doing things that you don't think I should do. (laughs) Not really. But there is a reason why I'm choosing Luke 11 instead of Matthew 6. By the way, we are going to go to Matthew 6. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bible and put a mark there, that's fine. Uh, But there is a reason why I, I like this version, if you will, Luke chapter 11 and that will become obvious momentarily. Now, I want you to know that um, I'm going to preach the Lord's Prayer in the manner in which other preachers have preached it. There's not a single thought I've ever had in my entire life that's original. I steal only from the best, as they say. Uh, That being said... Uh, I am indebted to Daniel Henderson. Many of you know that name. Many of you do not. But Daniel Henderson leads a ministry in Denver, Colorado called Strategic Renewal. Even those of you who know Daniel Henderson never heard of Strategic Renewal. But that's a very important ministry. I will tell you that Daniel Henderson is doing something in Denver The Lord is doing it through him that nobody else in America seems to be doing, and I have great regard for Daniel. In fact, Daniel has preached here before, and the model that we will use tonight in our worship-based prayer meeting is Daniel's model. I actually called Daniel about three months ago and said, I know it's pandemic, but are you traveling? Yes. Would you be willing to come to Morrison Heights in January? No. He was out already three Sundays in January, and his uh, board of directors think that's plenty enough. So the alternative was me. I feel like Chris Cunningham had a guest speaker coming. By the way, he was never coming for me. Daniel never said yes. But I feel like, Chris, uh, you've got plan B, which is me. So I'm delighted to talk about the Lord's Prayer, and I'm delighted to do something today that I don't normally do, which is to teach a style of prayer. I uh, choose Luke 11 for that reason. So let's read beginning in verse 1, and we'll just read through verse 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say... Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. 
And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. How many times did y'all use that word this week? Impudence. That means persistence. Because he doesn't quit knocking. Will you go to the door if somebody doesn't quit knocking? Now, some of you do not need to go to the door. I don't care if they knock for 30 minutes. Don't go to the door. Call somebody and let them go to the door for you. I mean, like call somebody on Monroe Street in Clinton. That's where I live, by the way, but I don't mean call me. Call the police department on Monroe Street. All right? Call the police department. But the rest of us will peek through the blinds and find out it's our neighbor. And he is being impudent, persistent. He just keeps knocking. So because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, the reason I've chosen Luke chapter 11 instead of Matthew chapter 6 is because of verse 1, where his disciples say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. That phrase is not found in the Matthew 6 passage. Matthew 6 falls in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and that phrase is not there. But I, I think it's important that we start by understanding the context here, what's going on. It is obvious that his disciples feel prayer deficient, or if you will, prayer challenged. I want to say to you this morning that if you feel that way about your prayer life, you're in good company. There's not a person I've ever met, let alone in this room today, who thinks their prayer life is all that. I don't know anybody who says my prayer life is everything it needs to be. I've never met that person, least of all me. But I want to suggest to you that they specifically felt prayer challenged. And if you feel that way, good, because this message today is for you. A second thing we note is that they had been noting that John the Baptist had been teaching his disciples how to pray, and they wanted to hear from Jesus. So John the Baptist's disciples were being taught, Jesus' disciples were not, and Jesus, uh, was a, they appealed to Jesus, let's, let's deal with this, tell us more. Now, Jesus obviously had taught on prayer. Jesus had obviously modeled prayer, and yet they wanted him to be even more specific. And Jesus was quick to respond in the affirmative, yes. And he said to them, when you pray, say. Now, what is 
not present in Luke's passage, but is present in Matthew's passage, is a warning. In Matthew's passage, the warning is, don't pray like the Gentiles who think by their many words that they will be heard. Instead, pray this way. Now, you'll want, one thing you'll note about the Lord's Prayer is that it, there's not much to it. How long does it take to recite the Lord's Prayer? I would tell you, even if you're stuttering, it's less than 60 seconds. It's not a long prayer. It's not flowery. It's not highfalutin. It's a normal prayer with normal things being discussed. But you'll note that Jesus warns his disciples in Matthew, don't pray like the Gentiles who believe that this is some sort of vain repetition. Don't use the Lord's Prayer as some sort of get out of jail card or have my prayer merit badge assignment accomplished or something else. The purpose of the Lord's Prayer is to not give you a magic prayer. And the notion that somehow this prayer is better than other prayers is not found in Scripture. That's not a biblical notion. Jesus is not giving you the prayer. He's rather giving you a pattern of praying. If you will, a style of praying. He's given you teaching. Lord, teach us to pray. All right, when you pray, then pray like this. And I want you to note four things. And again, I'm indebted to Daniel Henderson here. He calls it the fourfold pattern of prayer. I, I'm, I will tell you this from the outset. I'm not a big fan of finding formulas in the Bible. Some folks love formulas, and they'll, they'll have formulas for, for everything. Obviously, the most uh, uh, common place for formulas has to do with the end times. If you're an eschatology buff, and many are, uh, there are plenty of formulas for high, finding out how the, the end of the world is going to come down. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of finding formulas in other ways. But I do want you to note that there is a pattern. So I prefer the word pattern to formula. But you will note that this is going to seem like, feel like a bit of a formula. Now, one more caveat, if I might. As a young man in college being discipled to pray, I had a mentor who taught me a pattern. It's not this pattern. But I learned a pattern, and that pattern was just an acronym around the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Many of you have heard that pattern. It's not, not new. It's, it's been around a long, 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 long time. You will not find that particular pattern in a succinct prayer in the Bible. In other words, when you have Jesus answering the question, Lord, teach us to pray, you find the Lord's Prayer. So the only pattern that Jesus offers is this one, the Lord's Prayer. And so we want to consider it this morning. And again, I'm indebted to Daniel Henderson for pointing it out. 
So let me uh, point these out to you quickly. Number one, I want you to note, verse 2, that he begins where, as we all know, the Lord's Prayer begins, and that is with an upward focus. Hallowed be your name. There is an upward focus. By the way, Daniel's pattern, as he sees it, is directional. So I'll tell you the four things from the outset. Upward, downward, inward, outward. If you like, if you like directions, it's going to be easy. Upward, downward, inward, outward. He sees that pattern here. I will tell you, I don't think that's doing injustice at all. But he also... Uh, has an alliteration outline. And his word here for this upward focus is reverence. Reverence. You'll note he, Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. A couple things stand out. Number one, this is the Aramaic word for father, elsewhere translated Abba. This is not the Greek word for father, which is the Greek word pater. Everything else here is Greek, but the word father is Aramaic. Now, why is that? Because when Jesus talks to God, he talks to God in a familiar attitude. Jesus is not intimidated to talk to his father. Neither are you, are you? I mean, your earthly father, you're not intimidated to talk to your earthly father. If your father is still alive, you, you, you're not intimidated. You're going to call him up and you're going to say, dad or, or pop or father. You're, you're going to address him, and you're going to speak to him in a familiar tone, in a familiar attitude. That's the point, isn't it? Jesus says, when you pray, pray in this way, Abba, Father. There is a familiarity that God intends for us as we talk to him. A second thing we see here is the word hallowed. That's not a word that any of us have used this week. I'm, I just can say categorically, not one of you have used the word hallowed unless you quoted the Lord's Prayer somewhere this week. Hallowed. What's that word, what does that particular word mean? Well, it means, as we would expect, to make holy or to set apart as holy or to treat as holy. It's variously translated consecrate. Consecrate. The point, of course, is that he is acknowledging the place of God's personhood, his character, his being, the deeds or actions that come to mind. You're honoring God. This is the point that he's making. It's truly worship. How should you pray? You should begin by focusing your affections upward. Remember, Jesus is not answering the question, how how uh, or, or why should we pray or what should we pray? He's answering the question, how? And he's giving us a pattern or he's giving us a template. He's giving us something that will help us as we think about our relationship to God and how it translates into prayer. And he begins with God, not with ourselves. Now, I want to suggest to you that most people think of prayer as a list of things they need to inform God about. Or a list of things that are personal or at least intimate outside of our person about problems or challenges or burdens. In no way are those things inappropriate. In no way are those inappropriate. You're going to see that's a part of the pattern here in just a moment. 
But that's not the first thing. The first thing is to acknowledge God. Now, the Bible does this in a variety of ways, and it calls us to praise, calls us to offer thanks. In fact, the Bible rebukes us when we don't give thanks. The Bible rebukes those and says this is evidence of a lack of knowledge of God. If you claim to be a Christian and you're not full of thanks, you're not acknowledging thanks to God, then you're missing the Christian point, aren't you? You live under the authority of God. You live under the care of God. You live under the benevolent mercy of God. You have everything to be thankful for. I want to encourage you to recognize that that's where Jesus begins. Pray in this way. Father, Abba, hallowed be your name. Praise God. Glory to God. Rejoicing in God. Hoping in God. Acknowledging God. Let me give you an illustration of this. Familiar, I hope. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 this is what has come to be called the Song of Moses. It's actually the first psalm in the Bible. The very first psalm in the Bible is not in the book of Psalms. It's actually located in Deuteronomy. And it's Moses' prayer song that we find as he's about to pass the torch. In fact, he's already passed the torch to Joshua, and he's about to die. Moses dies in Deuteronomy after this song after this prayer. But I want you to notice Moses begins where the Lord's prayer begins. Listen to what it says here in verse 1, Deuteronomy 32. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the the herb, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. And now he begins to pray. Verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect and all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. I consecrate your name, your reputation, I appeal to you as the one who is just. I appeal to you as the one who is right. I appeal to you as the one who is perfect. I appeal to you as the one who is merciful and loving and forgiving of all of my sins. I point out the character of God because it is to this God that I am addressing this prayer. Upward, the first step of a dedicated prayer life is to call attention to the nature and character of God. The issue must be reverence. We must revere God. We must honor God. We must acknowledge our dependence upon God. Let me urge you to take seriously that particular point. Jesus is giving his disciples instructions, and we are his disciples, and we should receive the same instruction. There is an upward component to the Lord's Prayer and its beginning. But, of course, it doesn't end there. Now there's a downward component. Your, verse 2, your kingdom come. As you know, in Matthew's account, Jesus goes on to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a, 
downward reaction, if you will, or a downward thought. Uh, following this alliteration here, the issue here is response. In other words, he is calling us to submit or to yield or to surrender. Look again. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Note from the outset that Jesus is teaching his disciples and teaching us that our affections are to be toward the will of God. I have many requests. I have many things I want to bring up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray about those things momentarily. But before I get to those things, I want you to know, Father, that I acknowledge that what I really want is your will to be done. What I really want is for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a yielding of your will to the will of God. It is a submission of your will to the will of God. May I tell you, a lot of people, as they pray and don't find their request met exactly in the manner in which they pray, recoil. I've talked to many people in my life who are angry at God because I prayed and God didn't do it. Ultimately, that's an expression of a denial of this principle. There is no desire for God to have his will. There is only a desire for me to have my will. You'll note that's not the way Jesus prays in Matthew 6 or Luke 11. Neither is that the way Jesus prays in John 17. Turn there, if you would, for a moment. John 17. Parenthetically, just because people like to fuss about stuff, the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew 6, Luke 11, is really uh, better described as the model prayer. There are many, many books that take issue with this terminology, the Lord's Prayer. I would suggest to you that it's a, it's a fool's errand. We're, uh, we're not, we're not going to convince people to stop using that terminology. But if you really want to see the Lord's Prayer, it actually occurs in John 17. This is where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is literally minutes, certainly less than an hour away from being betrayed. So he's less than a few hours away from being crucified. This is the last significant prayer record of Jesus in the Bible, John 17. And you'll note that Jesus follows a similar pattern. Look at uh, verse 1. Jesus has spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said... Father, the Lord has come, or rather the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, hallowed God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In other words... May your will come on earth as it is in heaven. I have manifested your name, whom you gave to me. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. He goes on to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I remind you that when Jesus prays, this is indeed a pattern, if you will, a template that Jesus uses. 
Now, I would caution against using any template as some sort of brittle thing. I can't, I can't talk about that because I haven't talked about this. That's not the point, is it? If, that, if your prayer life is degenerated into following formulas, dear friend, nobody talks like that. Nobody. There's not one conversation I intend to have today that's going to be exactly the same. In other words, nobody's coaching me. When you have a conversation with somebody, you should do this first, and then you should do this second, and this third, and this fourth. Make sure you do that, and then you'll have a really good conversation. If your prayer life is degenerated into following formulas, you've missed the point. But Jesus is answering the question, how do we pray appropriately? And he gives us a pattern. Let's follow the pattern, but let's not be burdened by the pattern. He calls us to consider this downward or this response component. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would ask you today, do you, how do you know the will of God? Well, you may not know the difference between, you know, should I order chicken or fish? for lunch. I really don't know that the will of God enters into that. Maybe it does. Not sure. But we do know the will of God as regards righteousness. So it is not the will of God that you go to lunch and you don't pay. Anybody think that's the will of God? I know I'm just going to be very righteous at lunch. I'm going to walk out without paying. Does anybody really believe that's the will of God? Because the will of God is always righteous. The will of God is always faithful. The will of God is always the character of God. How do we know what God's will on earth is? It is to be like God. It's for God to be manifested in our lives. Think with me for a moment about the New Testament. Some of the, some of the greatest theological treatises ever are a part of the Bible, clearly. And so, take Ephesians. Ephesians has six chapters. The first three chapters are great theological truths, great doctrinal truths. And then in chapter 4, he begins to make it practical. Ultimately, he goes to relationships, and he talks about marriage, and he talks about parents and children. He talks about employers and employees. In other words, you claim to be a great theologian. You claim to know God. You claim to be a Christian. And if being a Christian somehow doesn't translate into the way you treat your wife or you treat your husband or the way you treat your children or the way you honor your parents or the way you treat your employees or those who work alongside you, if it doesn't translate to any of that, then, friend, I will tell you, your Christianity has got a smudge on it. God intends for his will to come on earth. And his will is not some ethereal pie in the sky mumbo jumbo. His will on earth is righteousness. And righteousness looks like the manner in which we live out the way of God in the midst of our own lives. That brings us to the third thing we see here in the Lord's Prayer. We have considered the upward and downward aspect of this prayer. Now let's consider the inward 
aspect. Notice in verse 3 and verse 4, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins or our debts. Now, whenever we talk about request, and that's the alliterative word there, requests, whenever we talk about our inward burdens, the list can go on and on and on, can it? Your list of burdens, your list of troubles, your list of things that frighten you or that, 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 that challenge you, the things that, that need to be addressed in your life can go on and on and on and on. To which I say, so what? So what if you've got a long prayer list? So what if you're praying around the world, so to speak, for people here and people there and people there and people there? So what? The point is not that you have this long list. The point is that you understand that that's not fundamentally where you start with prayer. Jesus says, give us our daily bread as if there's any other kind. Jesus knows there's no other kind, but we don't. We think that somehow that God's provision is intended to last and last and last, and we don't need to bring it up. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to acknowledge it. We don't need to ask for it. We don't need to appreciate it. We don't need to think about it. God has said, therefore, that's just the way it is. Now, I want to suggest to you that's not what Jesus is modeling. That's not what Jesus is praying. Give us this day our daily bread. God used daily bread in the Exodus to teach his people to be dependent upon him, to not presume upon the goodness of God or the kindness of God, to not forget that day after day after day after day God would provide and that they would be dependent upon God. The problem is human nature quickly forgets God, quickly assigns, if you will, assigns responsibility or assigns gratitude to some other method. In other words, we think it's our job. Well, it is our job, but who gave us our job? Well, we think it's our parents when we're young. Well, it is our parents, but who gave us our parents? Or we think it's our friends and it is our friends, but who gave us our friends? Ultimately, who's the one in charge of giving us our daily sustenance? Ultimately, it's God. Jesus says, pray in this way. Give us this day our daily bread. We acknowledge our dependence upon you. The Bible never says, by the way, that it's better to pray in the morning or to pray at lunch or to pray at noon, or rather at the evening, or pray as you're dozing off to sleep. In fact, all those times are very appropriate. But if you'll permit one minute of levity, I always think it's appropriate to pray in the morning because I'm interested in bread long before the evening gets here. <laughs> right? So if I'm interested in daily bread, I'm not planning to go to bed. I mean, I, I need to eat. I didn't get in this shape by not eating daily bread. I want to encourage you to recognize that whereas that's a moment of levity, his point is to acknowledge that as you begin your day, as you begin the focus of your affections during the day, 
it is appropriate to acknowledge that if we're going to eat, if we're going to be blessed, if we're going to have the provision we need, whether it's for food, shelter, or clothing, or anything else that we need in our lives, it is because the Lord in his daily mercies is going to provide it. Give us this day our daily bread. But he continues, and forgive us our sins or our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. There's an acknowledgement that we have sinned. Now, this is not the sin of, of unbelief. This is not asking someone to be born again a second time, a third time, a hundredth time. It's not the, if you will, the forgiveness of sin that manifests itself in justification, but rather as a matter of our sanctification, as a matter of our ongoing life. We are to pray, God, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. Some might say, well, there is no condemnation in Christ, Romans 8.1. You're right. The emphasis in Romans 8.1 is justification, not sanctification. Because there clearly are sins that characterize our lives, and we are to recognize that these sins, they, they contaminate, they, they, if you will, they collect on our person and on our being. These things need to be confessed. We need to acknowledge that they are real sins. We have failed God. We have failed the people that we live with. We've failed those around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, even perhaps our church. These are real sins. Forgive us our sins, Lord. We acknowledge our sins. We acknowledge our dependence upon you. I want to suggest to you that nowhere does Jesus mention physical needs here other than bread. Jesus doesn't mention the kinds of things that typically characterize our prayer lists. Again, it's not because those things are wrong or bad or in any way substandard. Those burdens are real, but those are not the totality of our burdens. Every one of my problems is not an organ. I've got a lot of problems I've got a lot of problems, and sin is at the top of the list. And I would ask the question of you, as you pray and pray in this way, pray as following the pattern of prayer the Lord gives us here, how often are you bringing up your sins? So as you turn inward and list your requests before God, it is not a problem that the list is long. My suggestion is that if you're walking with God and you have a burden for the things of God and the people of God, you're going to have a long list. There's no end to things that could and perhaps should be prayed about. But I would acknowledge that sin needs to be on the list. Not somebody else's sin, but yours. Let's make sure that our request include these things. There is an inward component. And then lastly, I want you to see, again, following this directional pattern, there are outward, outward requests. So we've considered upward, downward, inward, now outward. Notice this phrase in verse 4, lead us not into temptation. Many of you like the Matthew Conclusion: For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Lead us not into temptation. It is an acknowledgement of our need for help. Lead us not into temptation. Interesting, isn't it, that when Jesus prayed, considering inward requests, he mentions sins. Now, when he mentions outward requests, he mentions the temptation to sin. I want to suggest to you that the contemporary Christian, the dominant Christian position is to ignore sin. Most people in their prayer life rarely talk about their sin. And they rarely talk about the temptation to sin. And yet Jesus' pattern, Jesus' suggestion has no problem bringing those things up. This is an acknowledgement of our need for help in the battle against temptation. If you will, our need for the Holy Spirit. Go back with you. The reason, again, I like the Luke passage is because he gives two illustrations. One is the friend who, because of his impudence, knocks and knocks and knocks and knocks and knocks. His exhortation there is, keep bringing these things before the Lord. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Because even your friend, even your friend will answer the door. How much more will God answer the door? How much more does God care? Then he gives the illustration of the father who, if his son asks for a fish, he gives him a serpent, a snake. If he asks for an egg, he gives him a scorpion. A loving father doesn't withhold food from his children and instead hand him a snake. That's not what a loving father does. And if an earthly father can be so loving as to provide food instead of snakes, food instead of scorpions, how much more will your heavenly father, the one whom you know to be Abba, give to you? There is a, a temptation, if you will, for us to move away from God and to not rely upon God. But you'll notice the last phrase in verse 13. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, it is obvious in Luke chapter 11 that Jesus believes that his disciples' greatest need is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that guides us away from temptation. It is the Holy Spirit that brings the power of God to our heart, to our affection. It is the Holy Spirit that surfaces the scriptures that allow us to do spiritual warfare. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin and says, no, stay away from that. No, I will not somehow devalue my God and devalue holiness. My God is holy unto me, hallowed unto me. I have made him holy, and I will continue to make him holy. Lord, protect me from forgetting your holiness. Lead me not into temptation. Lead me not. I'm always reminded of these words in Ephesians chapter 6, where Jesus, rather, the Apostle Paul makes clear 
these words in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he concludes this section on the armor by verse 18, praying at all times, praying. Remember, that's what we're doing in Luke 11, teaching you how to pray. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. In other words, he is exhorting us in Ephesians 6 to do exactly as Jesus taught us in Luke 11, to show us our need for God and our need for his Holy Spirit. We need help in the battle. We are at the mercy of God. So what does all this do for us? Where does this leave us? Well, again, my intention this morning is not to provide some new rigid pattern for your prayer life, but rather to once again exhort you to recognize that as we pray, a mature prayer is going to involve an acknowledgement of God, acknowledgement of ourselves, acknowledgement of our burdens, and acknowledgement of the challenges that we face as we go about our daily affairs. God, give us grace. God, give us help. God, give us strength. God, give us wisdom. Or to use the language of the scripture, God, give us your Holy Spirit. Do not let us wander aimlessly. Do not let us wander alone. Instead, call us to follow you. Help us to look up. Help us to look down. Help us to look in and help us to look out. Help us, Father, to pray in such a way that our lives reflect our confidence in God and our hope in the power of God. Because this and this alone is the manner in which Jesus taught his disciples to pray. May it be true of us today. Pray with me. Father, how we thank you for your mercies. Thank you for the grace you've extended to us. We pray, God, that you would help us to pray well, not as if there is some magic formula, but rather, Father, because there is a precise pattern that will keep us praying in a mature way. It's awfully easy, Lord, we know, every one of us knows, awfully easy to allow our prayer life to degenerate if not into prayerlessness, certainly into some lopsided, out-of-kilter prayer balance. Instead, Lord, I pray you would waken us and help us to see this fourfold pattern, upward, downward, inward, outward. Lord, it is good for us to pray as you've instructed. Help us to stay in the center of your will, even as we pray. Thank you, O Lord, hallowed be your name. Great is the Lord and worthy to be praised this morning. We love you so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.